Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. All right. So what a difference a week makes. I think you introduced last week's episode with that, did you? Did I say that? I think so, or something like that, because it's true. But this has been the worst of all of them, I feel like, or at least the most changes. It's been a really dramatic week with all the public health recommendations. Really, Everybody's life has been changed, right? Everybody, I think. Big time. So today is March 18th, 2020, and we're doing our weekly coronavirus update. We wanted to say thank you so much. We've gotten so many great questions from listeners, and we'll try to get to all of them today. The biggest thing that we started talking about last week, although didn't know how dramatic it would change, was social distancing. And that was really interesting for me because I thought I knew what that meant. And then as I go online to like find out exactly what to say about it, it says, oh, social distancing, just, you know, don't interact with too many people. There aren't really many specific guidelines. It's t- taken me a while to really sort out what it, what it actually means. So we'll, we'll talk about that, right? Right. And a lot of parents are having questions about what it means. Other things that have changed over the last week are how many people are allowed to be in groups or gatherings. So originally it was like in the hundreds. Mm-hmm. Now it's 10. According to the president. Right. (laughs) Right. So things are dramatically shifting, but this is all aimed at flattening the curve. Flattening the curve, realizing that that everywhere in the whole world, every country in the whole world has limited hospital capacity, limited ICU capacity, and we know that this can hit hard, it can cause severe disease, so we don't want our hospitals, our ICUs to be overwhelmed. So even if we have the total, the same total number of people getting sick and in the ICU, if we spread it out over time, we'll be able to better provide care. So what it means then is that not like, so now is March, not by the end of March, we're not going to see this huge peak, you know, where a lot of people are going to need admission to the hospital. Instead, it's going to be fewer people spread over time. Right. So, so it doesn't look like mm-hmm. a big mountain. Instead, it looks like a flat hill. mountain, flat, <laughs> a hill, a flat hill. Right. Yeah. So that would be flatten what flattening the curve means, because we've gotten a few questions about that. A big question that parents have is about what is okay in terms of group hangouts, having friends over, because we know now, last time we talked, we said, what are we going to do if schools close? Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? Almost Almost all of the school Mm -hmm. districts in California where we record this are now closed. So let me ask you a question. Why did they close the schools? Why did they recommend that? To prevent spread of possible mild or asymptomatic illness between kids. Right, because the kids will get mild or asymptomatic illness and then transmit it to others. Yeah. So what happens if you like close the schools and then all the kids go to the playground or participate in sports together or something like that? Defeats the purpose. Exactly. This exactly defeats the purpose. So the whole idea of closing the schools would be that the kids would stay home in the family unit and not play with other kids. 
Right. So we got a couple questions about birthday parties. And unfortunately, I think the recommendation at this point is celebrate at home, do something really fun and special with your immediate family, but delay those parties until later. Or have a virtual birthday party. Virtual birthday party. party. (laughs) That might be fun. Uh Something you'll remember for a long time. Mm -hmm. A lot of parents are also asking about just like one-on-one play dates Mm -hmm. um, with friends. Having no play dates is better. We're not talking about, we want to social distance, but not isolate. So we would love it if kids got together online, FaceTime, um, on the phone, whatever. Um, we'd like them to continue to have interaction, but best for them not to have face-to-face interaction, not physical interaction. Yeah. Now, I, I know um, some parents say, my kid's going nuts and they just have to play with another kid. I can't tell you, like, they can't ever play with another kid while all this is going on. But what would be best, what the whole purpose of this is, is not to have transmission between families. Yeah, and I have to say that I went for a run with my dog yesterday, and I saw so many great things, like dads playing catch in the yard with their kids, or playing soccer, or, you know, there's neighbors across the street that are in their front yard, and they're waving each other, and everybody's kind of, in some ways, it's bringing people together in new ways and, um, you know, especially with families, you're seeing them doing some activities that they may not have done every day before, which I think is, is kind of nice. Um, so we're seeing some quality time together. So I think that hopefully answers some questions about what we're recommending with play dates or birthday parties or other things like that. Um, Can we talk about outdoors a little bit? Yeah. So when you go outdoors, I mean, outdoors, that, that's great because the virus doesn't travel that far and there's a lot of air outdoors. So any kind of cough or sneeze or anything gets diluted in the air. And so it's unlikely to be transmitted. We talked before about um, six feet being how far a droplet after coughing could travel and could be infectious because gravity takes over. And so that's what you'll see most recommended for the social distancing is maintain a uh, distance of at least six feet. Sometimes you'll see three feet. Most of the droplets will by by gravity be on the ground within three feet but six feet is the safest distance so again let's say you want to go for a walk for some with go for a walk with someone outside you know you could theoretically do that if you maintain a distance of six feet with them totally so those outdoor activities are a really good option during this time when all of us are feeling a little stir crazy some parents have reached out asking, saying that their daycare is not closed yet, but they feel a little uncomfortable still dropping their kid off. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Well, daycare is a perfect place to transmit infection, mm-hmm. especially among the youngest kids who really, due to their normal developmental stage, are going to have compromised... Sticking their hands in their bottoms <laughs> right. and then scratching their nose. <laughs> right. They're going to have compromised hygiene. So, no, mm-hmm. it... You know, the whole idea behind all the school closures and closing of businesses and all, which is hugely, so hugely disruptive to people's lives and the economy and has so many implications. So we want to limit transmission. So, no, you shouldn't go to daycare. Yeah, there's, if feasible, there are, you know, a lot of people that are reaching out to provide daycare services. You know, the teenagers are off from school so that is a potential college students some of our medical students here in the community are offering up babysitting services so that way you can keep it just fewer people mm-hmm. fewer but yeah the fewer we know people, how the challenging better. this is mm-hmm. we really do um we 
also have gotten some questions about pregnancy. A lot of our listeners and families have young kids and are thinking about expanding their families. And so maybe trying to get pregnant or are currently pregnant. What do we know about COVID-19 during pregnancy? Well, we worry so much about so many things during pregnancy, and this is just one more thing to worry about. What we know is that with influenza during pregnancy, that women have a five times increased risk of being hospitalized due to influenza compared to women at the same age who aren't pregnant. Hmm. pregnant. So we know that pregnancy is a risk factor for severe infections. Um, a small study out of China, where of course there's the most experience, looked at 147 pregnant women in China, and what they found was 8% had severe disease, um, 1% in critical condition. Um, and that was less than the total population, right. probably because they're younger and in healthier. The younger right? age group. Yeah, so yeah. It, it didn't appear to be more severe um, than, than other people. And in just this very small number that had given birth, it wasn't transmitted to the baby. And the small number that it gave birth, there was no transmission, was not found in the amniotic fluid, and the babies were, oh, there weren't Fine. bad outcomes from pregnancy. Right. right. So, luckily, we're still seeing that this is relatively mild in kids. Yes. Recently, a large study out of China, which again has had the most cases, was published in pediatrics, at least the preliminary the data. Preliminary, right. And this looked at over 2,000 kids mm-hmm. and it kind of broke down their severity of illness. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, what did it show? So, the most common age um, of infection was between one and 10 years of age, and 90% of these children had either asymptomatic, mild, or moderate infection. So, 10% had more severe infection. And the youngest kids had the, the, the high, highest risk of severe infection. So, less than one year of age, 10% um, had severe or critical infection, whereas those over five years of age, less than 5% had severe or critical infection. So we see this a lot, for example, with influenza, that the um, extremes of age, the youngest kids, the oldest adults, are at the highest risk Mm -hmm. of um, more severe infection. It's similar with this novel coronavirus. But that seems much less than the, like, 18% in adults, it's that still have yeah. The, the, the kids are really being spared um, the brunt of this infection compared to adults. Right, definitely. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any new data coming out about potential risk factors in pediatrics? So we got one question from a parent of a child with asthma who was wondering if that might be a risk factor for their their child to have more severe disease or... Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I had another question about diabetes, and I mm-hmm. just haven't seen anything about um, diabetes in kids or asthma in kids. Diabetes in adults appears to be a risk factor for um, poor outcomes. Perfect. Um, we got another question um, asking again, I know we've talked about this, but as the data is emerging, how long it may live on surfaces... That's a really tricky question to answer because you can detect it on surfaces for a prolonged period of time. You can really optimize that depending on temperature or humidity, but we don't know what that really means in terms of infectivity. So our best guess in terms of contaminated surfaces being infectious to others, probably a few hours. Gotcha. Okay, so what we've been saying before, but still a good idea always to disinfect, right. lots of disinfectant. Especially the high-touch surfaces, kitchen counters, um, door handles, fridge handles, things like that. Perfect. 
any new uh, treatments that we're looking at? I know it's just been a week. But. <laughs> it's been a week, but um, the word has gotten out on some of these treatments, so there's been a run on them. So there's still the experimental um, antiviral, the remdesivir, mm-hmm. um, that uh, is an investigational drug. It's not approved by the FDA, but that's being used. When in- you say a run on them, does that mean everybody wants them? So the one that, that was really in the news was this um, hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. And that one is FDA approved for other reasons, not for treatment of coronavirus, but because it's FDA approved and available, a lot of hospitals have been stocking up on this. I've heard a lot of people in the public saying, I want to get my hands on some, so asking for prescriptions for this, and now there's no longer any supply. So I know our hospital has a supply and is unable to get more, but we have this in our treatment protocol because experimentally it looks very promising, and we do have experience using this drug for other infections that um, that we know it's it's relatively so safe. So it's like toilet paper is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, you just can't get it, right? The, get the it shelves right are empty. <laughs> yeah, we've got some in our okay. hospital if, if we need it for now. Right. Yeah. Okay, that's good to know. So still investigational. There's nothing yes. that's like a slam dunk. This is no. going to work. And probably the same with the um, vaccine because you told me that it takes years last time. <laughs> yeah, so the vaccine, um, the good news is the vaccine, one of the vaccines has started in clinical trials, and so that's good. And, that's great. you know, if everything goes perfectly, it's possible we could have a vaccine in a year or a year and a half. Fingers crossed for that one. So a lot of people are also reaching out saying that they've had these symptoms, more mild symptoms in this younger population, fever, maybe a dry cough. And they're wondering if after the fact, there might be a test that they can get that says like, oh, hey, you have had it. You have what we call like serologies that are positive for this virus that show past infection so that they may not have to worry as much. They may have some immunity. Do you is there anything like that in the works? Do you suspect that that will come down the pipeline? Yeah, absolutely. Those those tests are being developed now. They should be available. I'm not sure about the timeline of that, but we do this with, as you mentioned, with many other infections. So you should be able to do a test, oh, probably about a month after you're infected. And when you successfully fight off the infection, you develop antibodies against it. And so you can do a blood test to detect those antibodies. And I'm sure there have been really many cases. I don't know if there's twice as many or 10 times the number of reported cases that have occurred in the community. Um, and we just haven't tested for it. So we don't know. Yeah. I know a lot of our listeners and people that are coming here to the hospital are still frustrated about access to testing. Um, and so, you know, while we have increased the number of available tests, they're still being used for people with more severe illness, not necessarily people with more mild illness, like a flu swab or something like that. Well, actually, that's not entirely true. And, and you know, I wish you were right. <laughs> and one of the issues is that when these tests first came out, they were advertised by certain um, uh, officials yeah. as saying anybody in the U.S. can, like, go to their doctor and get one of these. And that's true because they were performed, they're performed in commercial laboratories. So yeah. any doctor can order one of these swabs and send it to commercial lab. What's that? That's resulted in the commercial labs being totally overwhelmed, mm. so that the they're unable to prioritize which are the more important tests to run. Which, just like you said, would be the ones that are like the hospitalized patients, the critically oh. ill patients. And so, unfortunately, what we've done is we've gone back um, because there's prolonged turnaround time with those uh, commercial laboratory tests. And for the most critically ill patients, we've been. 
um, using our, our limited public health testing availability um, to, um, to send those tests that way. Um, we hope to have more in-hospital tests soon. Many hospitals um, have these. Our hospital um, should have it up and running um, maybe the end of this week, early next week, and then have um, uh, more a high-volume uh, test capacity at the end of the month. Great. Yeah. Well, I think that we hit on most of our questions today. I feel like today we could talk for like an hour. We could. So, so much, much has, has happened. Yeah, so, so much has happened. I think that over the next week, it's going to be trying on a lot of families. You're going to be home, you know, teaching from home. Obviously, as pediatricians, we know that this means that screen time recommendations Maybe not going to happen. We're okay with that. We <laughs> mm-hmm. understand. Um, you have to do what you can to stay sane, but also remember that this is a really unique time for your family. It's important to address children's anxieties and concerns by talking to them about what they're afraid of, what they're hearing, giving them things that they can do. So if they're really sad they're not seeing grandma and grandpa, you guys can work on an art project for them that mm-hmm. they can give them once all of this calms down. Mm-hmm. You know, go play in the bathtub together, <laughs> have a bubble bath, mm-hmm. do, you know, go outside and play catch. Just use this time to really reconnect with one, each, one read, another. And read books. Yeah, and read books. <laughs> I'm like finally, you know, have this is like the first time in a long time I'm getting through a book in one week. So, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, with all of this that's making us feel anxious and uncertain, it's it, it's important to stay connected to loved ones and remain continue to do things you love to do. Right. And um, even if it hasn't hit your community hard yet, it's been really spotty in terms of how it's hit, and we do expect it to hit everywhere. So please don't be complacent just because right now you're not seeing a lot of transmission in your community. Please continue to follow the public health authorities' recommendations for the social distancing and other and other recommendations that they're saying, the cover your cough, hand washing, et cetera, that we've, we've talked about previously. Yep. So we will try and... Um be back next week to give you a new update. Yes. We are both curious to see what unfolds between now and then. And feel free to continue to send us your questions and we'll do our best to answer them. Yes, please. Again, we're recording this on March 18th, 2020. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital. 